0: Thanks for joining us for the Heritage Bible Church podcast from Lincoln, Nebraska. We desire to be a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify Christ and love people well. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. When you guys think about our incredible, omnipotent, mighty, awesome, sovereign God that we've just been singing about and singing to, Would you ever consider standing in his way? Think about that question with me. When you think about the awesome, almighty, sovereign, omnipotent God that we've just been thinking about, singing about, singing to, would you ever consider standing in his way? I think immediately most of us, if not all of us, would say this morning, no, like I've never seek to stand in God's way. Dustin, why do you ask? I would say, I ask because I think, we, I think we do it all the time. In different ways, we are in the way of God. So I want to say together with you this morning that the church of God needs to stay out of His way. The church of God needs to stay out of His way. To understand why I say that, please turn in your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11 this morning, even as you turn, let's be reminded that last week we saw in Acts chapter 9 that when Saul of Tarsus showed up at church uh, there in Jerusalem, it caused quite a stir. There were many people that were like, no, not cool with that. I mean, this guy is our number one enemy. He's our nemesis. This guy hates Jesus. He hates Christians. He's murdered some of our family and friends. What is he doing in church And the answer is, Jesus saved him. Amen? It was a reminder for us, even again this morning, that God can save anyone. Amen? You guys with me on that? God can save anyone. No one is beyond the reach of God's grace. I hope that we believe that, and passionately so. But the church at Jerusalem in that moment was definitely surprised, surprised by grace. Well, In the next movement, in chapters 10 and 11 of the book of Acts, we're going to find that they're surprised again. The church is surprised again. See it for yourself. Acts chapter 11 and verse 1. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. The church at Jerusalem is surprised again, but you might add to that and say, they're also a little offended, maybe a lot concerned. So the question is, what's the problem? Right? What's the issue? Basically what happens is that there are a bunch of Gentiles who have become Christians, who have become followers of Jesus, and Peter is there with them, and he's helping them to understand Jesus and what it means to be a Christian. And so you and I are saying what? You and I are saying, like, what's the problem? That's good, right? That would be featured on MyBridge Radio. God is on the move, right? This is good. This is exciting. What's the deal? Why why the cause for concern? In fact, you look at the language of verse 2. Why the criticism? You Think about that. Why the criticism? Even as you look at that language, notice some additional language. Notice Luke's language of circumcision. He identifies here a circumcision party. And though it's possible that this is a sect a really conservative sect within the larger group or church at Jerusalem, I think most likely Luke is just simply referring to the church at Jerusalem, which was at this time almost exclusively Jewish. By using the language of circumcision, especially as you look at it, verse 3, they're surprised, they're shocked, they're a little bit appalled that Peter has gone to who? The uncircumcised? What Luke is drawing out here is the problem. Is the issue, is the cause for concern, is the cause for the controversy? See, for the Jewish people at this time in the first century, there were really only two categories of people. There were Jews and there were Gentiles. And we need to think about this together for a moment. You might say, well, Dustin, there was, there was also the Samaritans. True. But in a broad, big-picture perspective, there were really just two people or two kinds or categories of people. There were Jews and there were Gentiles. Now, let's just think about these two categories. Understand that for the Jew, they would have thought of the Jewish people, not necessarily every specific individual, but generally the Jewish people were identified as follows. They were God's people. They were a part of the family of God. They were people that were willingly putting themselves underneath the law of God. So these are people that are lawful they are morally distinct and separate from the rest of society or from the rest of the world. They are, you might say, holy. Okay? Now just think about this with me. As opposed to the Gentile. Who were the Gentiles for them? The Gentiles were people who were considered to be pagan. These are people who were lawless. They have no overbearing law. They live how they want to live. They operate out of their own selfish ambition. Whatever they think is right, that's what they do. And even their worship is kind of selfish. In the eyes of the Jew, even their worship. It's idolatry, but these gods that they are worshiping are gods that are essentially there to serve them. right? This is their perspective. And so for the Jew to look at the Gentile, they are seeing a morally repugnant individual, a lawless person, a worldly Person. And so I think right here you're seeing a bit of a conundrum. You grabbing this? You're seeing a bit of a conundrum. Because for the Jew, these two don't go together. Here we have an absolute divide. It's God's people and the rest. Okay? It's God's people and the rest. And Jesus doesn't change that in their minds. Why? Because Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. He's the one we, if I'm a Jew, he's the one we've been waiting for. He is our Savior, right? Jesus' presence isn't changing anything. So you might say, well, Dustin, what about a category for a Gentile (coughs) Christian? Please track with this. A Gentile Christian, you know what they would have said? No such thing. No such thing. Why? Why? Just think about it with me. Please track with me. Hang on. You might say, well, Dustin, not true, because there are actually even Gentiles in the line of Jesus. True. Rahab, Ruth, for example. But how did they get there? You see, my friends, understand that there was always a kind of path. It's possible for a Gentile to follow God. It's possible for a Gentile to become a Christian, but only a particular way, according to the first century Jew. Only in a particular way. You see, the Gentile had to essentially become a Jew in order to get in. You can follow this illustration. They had to go through the door of Jewishness. If they follow that, then they can come in. You see, my friends, the scandal here The surprise here is not that Gentiles would follow Jesus. There were Gentiles in Jesus' earthly ministry that followed him. That's not the surprise. That's not the scandal. The scandal is that Gentiles would follow Jesus and remain Gentiles. That's what's going on here, and you can see it in the language. That's what's gotten these people so riled up. It seems like Peter is just sort of interacting with them, In such a way as to say, you guys can remain as you are. You can come to Jesus and become Christians and remain Gentiles. So the first century Jew would have said something like this. You can come in, if you will follow. You can come in but not looking like that. You can come in but not eating that. Several years ago, a good friend of mine, won't mention his name, good friend of mine that calls me up one day and says, hey, I've got two tickets to a Cubs-Cardinals game, do you want to go? What do you guys think I said? (laughs) Before he got the words out, I'm like, yes, take them. I'm I'm definitely going. Um, It's kind of a big game, actually, last series of the year, playoff implications. We were actually decent at that time. And so I was excited about going to this game. But a little backstory: my friend happened to be good friends with Bob Gibson. So, if you don't know anything about baseball, I'll bring you up to speed. Cubs, Cardinals, bitter rivals, kind of hate each other. Alright? And Bob Gibson is like the ultimate Cardinal. Okay? He is to Cardinal Kingdom as Tom Osborne is to Husker Kingdom. Okay? Bob Gibson, he's it. He's the ultimate Cardinal. Alright? So, here I am accepting these tickets, but they're Bob Gibson's tickets. I go to the stadium. Dawson and I go. And we go to the We'll call ticket counter where I'm going to pick up these tickets that are placed in my name, right? I go to the counter, and I give them my name, and the person is just rifling through all the tickets, and they go, "No tickets for you, man." You know why? They were rifling through the Cubs tickets. You know why? Look at us, we're <laughs> decked out in Cubs gear, right? Completely topped on, decked out. Dawson and I were decked out in Cubs gear. And they were rifling through the Cubs tickets. They weren't there, right? The Cubs organization, they went over to the Cardinals organization when I said, actually, they're with the Cardinals. And when I said that, and then I threw in, and they're actually Bob Gibson's tickets. You know what the person behind the counter looked at me like? They were like, whatever, <laughs> right? Look, look at us. And so the person actually reluctantly then gave me the tickets, but they didn't say this, but it was almost like this. Like, you can have the tickets, but you can't come in here looking like that. If you get my drift. Like, don't we need to call Bob Gibson and make sure he's cool with this? You can't use his tickets looking like that. that. That was kind of the atmosphere. That was kind of the mentality. But let me just pause with you right here and say something that's really important. What you need to grab at this juncture is that they were actually right, in a sense. With the knowledge they had at this moment, they were actually, in a sense, right. I said, Dustin, what do you mean? Well, check out this text, for example, Leviticus chapter 20. This is how they're operating, and you've got to understand this. Leviticus chapter 20. By the way, this text is going to be very apropos to what we'll see as the text develops here in chapter 11. This is God speaking to his people through Moses and saying this, and you shall not walk in the customs of the nation that I am driving out before you. I am the Lord your God who has separated you from the peoples. What's going on here? God is saying, you guys are not going to just blend in. You're not going to just be like the other nations. You're going to be totally distinct, totally separate called out from among them. So God's plan was that the people of Israel would be a kind of testimony or a light to the other nations. Not like them, but a light to them so that the other nations would see Israel's God is actually the God, is actually the only God. This was his plan for Israel. So he said, distinctness, separateness. See it in the text. You shall therefore separate the clean beast from the unclean and the unclean bird from the clean. You shall not make for yourselves detestable by beast or by bird or by anything with which the ground crawls, which I have set apart for you to hold unclean. You shall be holy to me or separate to me, for I the Lord am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. If you're tracking with this, God's people, to be in God's family, meant to follow his customs, to follow his laws, to follow his norms, and thereby bring him honor, thereby bring him glory, thereby be a light to the other nations. So when Peter shows back up at the church in Jerusalem, Acts chapter 11, 1 through 3. In some sense, we could say these people are right to protest a little bit. Peter, what are you doing? It seems to us that you're saying you guys are welcome looking like that. You're welcome eating that. And this isn't okay. Like they have scrolls open and stuff. This isn't okay. This is not appropriate, right? These people in their uncircumcised state with their unclean diet bringing bacon in and stuff. I can almost imagine a church curmudgeon there in Jerusalem saying something like, make them give up their bacon and see if they'll still follow God. <coughs> right? This is the atmosphere. So question, what does Peter say? Hopefully we have track to this point and understand that this is a real issue. It's a real issue. The question is, what does Peter say? Essentially, I think, in tone, Peter is is tender. He's soft. He's going to relate with them. He simply says, I think, between the lines here, hear me out. Let me share the story with you. And he does, beginning in verse 4. So let's read it together. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. So he's going to explain to them exactly what happened in this entire sequence. By the way, what he's going to explain to them is everything that happens in chapter 10. So if you haven't read chapter 10, I would encourage you this afternoon to go back and read through it. It's it's fascinating to watch. But we'll reference it as we go. Peter is talking to them about what happens there. Verse 5. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. Something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey, and reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill, and eat. Pause right here. So Peter sees this vision of a sheet, and in front of this sheet that's kind of just a backdrop, he sees all kinds of animals, both clean and unclean. And then the voice of God saying to him, Rise, kill, and eat. Like, you can eat it all. But for sake of illustration, you can have ribeyes and pork chops. Both. It's all on the menu for you, Peter. Peter. So, question, what does Peter do? And undoubtedly, this was so relatable to the people he's talking to. Peter says, basically, no way. Right? No way. Verse 8: I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. My whole life I've never done this, Lord. No way. That that would be wrong. That would be breaking your law. This is what Peter is saying. But, verse 9, the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. So God is settling the score here with Peter and ushering in a new age. He says, Peter... I'm declaring it clean. So don't call it unclean. Now, I love what happens in verse 10. Because it really really signals something for us that's important for us to, again, grab in order to really make sense of this whole scene. Verse 10, this happened three times. Why do you think it happened three times? It happened three times because God wanted to ensure that Peter got the message. Maybe if if he just has one pass at it, he goes... I probably was just dreaming. Or maybe it was because I was so hungry, right? I thought he said I could have it all. No. God gives him the vision three times to ensure that Peter gets the message. There's no denying what God is saying here. This is now clean. Now, by the way, you might have the question, Dustin, like, shouldn't Peter have already gotten this message From the life of Christ? And the answer to that is yes. In fact, if you go to texts like Mark chapter 10, you will find that Jesus already addresses this subject. He talks about the fact that you are not going to be defiled by what's without, rather only by what's within. And so then Mark comments, by this he declared all foods clean. But I think what we find here is actually helpful for us What we find here is that Peter is having a hard time, a hard time making that transition. We can kind of understand that, right? Because this has been ingrained in him. Like since birth, this is how Peter has understood the faith. This is how Peter has understood, this is how we honor God. This is how we give glory to God. And so God is working with his people, and it's taking time. So God gives him the vision three times, but Peter does get it, and we see how he gets it as the text continues. Check it out, verse 11, and behold, he says, at that very moment, three men arrive at the house in which we were, there in Joppa, sent to me from Caesarea. Now, let's just pause right here for a moment. If you go back to chapter 10, what you find is that the first thing that happens, as Luke records it in chapter 10, is that God sends a vision to a man named Cornelius, Cornelius is an Italian centurion, and he's someone that was seeking after God. And so God gives him this vision and tells him to send messengers to Joppa to get Peter and ask Peter to come and share the gospel, share the good news with him and his household. And so Cornelius listens. He dispatches his messengers to go to Joppa to get Peter. After that happens, then Peter gets this vision of the sheet. With the animals, God convinces him that the dietary restrictions have been removed. But then, as soon as that vision ends, if you note it here, verse 11, at that very moment, at the end of that vision, there's a knock at the door. The guys who've been dispatched from Cornelius, they've arrived to get Peter. And when the door is opened, Peter realizes that these guys are Gentiles, but the Spirit of God says what? The Spirit of God tells Peter, Go with them. What we're finding here is that the Spirit of God is superintending this entire scene. There's multiple visions, multiple statements from God to ensure that it's not lost in translation. But here's the key. My friends, grab this. The key to all of that time sequence is that Peter is now going to understand that this is about way more than dietary restrictions. This is about people. The phrase, what I have called clean... Don't call common. Don't call unclean. It's ultimately, or or perhaps in its most full expression, it's about people. Okay? It's about people. So Peter grabs that. See it for yourself, verse 12. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction with regard to these guys being Gentiles. Peter also acknowledges that there are witnesses here at the church at Jerusalem, these six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. So it's not just Peter that's seeing all of this unfold. It's seven people that watch all of this unfold. So they entered the man's house, and here's what happened. He told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved. You and your household. I've just got to pause here for a moment and just tell you how cool this is, because Cornelius, you know what he does? He packs out his house. This is great. In fact, uh, Butch, if you would put that verse on the screen from Acts chapter 10, what we find here is that Cornelius knows that Peter is coming to preach the message of the gospel, how they can all be saved. And so what does he do? He packs his house out. You see it, Acts chapter 10, verse 25. And as he talked with them, this is Peter, talking with Cornelius, he went in and found many persons gathered. Isn't this great? I love this. Many people are there. So it's not just a one-on-one with Peter and Cornelius. It's Peter and a bunch of Gentiles. And he said to them, now grab this again. Really underscores everything that we've been talking about uh, with regard to this controversy. He said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. You guys know that this is a problem for me. Outside of God making a shift, making a change. Peter's like, this is a problem, but God has shown me. And you could underline those words. Peter's been convinced by what? By the word of God, God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked them, why you sent for me? What is Peter understanding? Peter is understanding that Jesus, the Messiah, fulfilled these requirements of the law. Jesus fulfilled it that God's people are no longer going to be marked by these civil and ceremonial aspects, but rather God's people, broadly speaking, God's people are marked by the presence of the Holy Spirit of God and His fruit that He bears in all. Amen? Amen? does not mean that there is no longer a place for Israel in the future. What it does mean, though, is that God's people generally, in a big picture sense, are now marked in a new way. It's not by civil law, it's not by things like circumcision. It's not like it's not about things like not eating pork. It's about the spirit of God dwelling within the heart of God. All those of all those who have repented and believed the gospel, those are the people of God. Amen. You guys, tracking with this? And so Peter is grabbing this. Now, verse fifteen. It says this: As I began to speak the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. This is beautiful. Peter is going to note here the sameness, the sameness of the community. Verse 16, And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Pause. When did Jesus give them that? When did Luke record it in the record of Acts? This happens in chapter 1. This happens just ahead of the day of Pentecost, the moment in which the Spirit of God comes in a definitive new way. But what Peter is saying here is that this Pentecost moment for us is happening a couple of more times to prove something. To demonstrate something that's very important. It happens in Acts chapter 8 with the Samaritans, and then it happens here in chapters 10 and 11 with the Gentiles. And all to prove one thing. My friends, please grab this. All to prove that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. That these people have the same spirit, the same spirit as us. It's the same thing, same gospel, nothing more. Okay? No extra requirements needed. The same gospel. So Gentiles can come in by faith, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Samaritans can come in by faith, and we're all here together, equally together, by grace. Amen? This is what Peter is being convinced of. And so he tells the church this. Question, how do you think the church takes it? Just think about that question for a moment. Now, in your mind, go back to verses 1 through 3. What was the tone in verses 1 through 3? The tone was one of real concern and criticism, even criticism of an apostle. So Peter is like, guys, hear me out. Let me share with you what happened. And they listen. Think about how they respond. How might you guess they respond? teasing this out a little bit because I think it's remarkable it's absolutely remarkable note it in your text verse 18 in verse 18 it says when they heard these things they fell silent they fell silent and they glorified God saying then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life this is awesome my friends Could you imagine in a couple of years a presidential debate where the two figures are on the stage and they're debating some hot button issue and one of them lays out his case and the other one goes, hmm, you, you know, you said some things there I've never thought about before. Let me, let me go reevaluate my position. I, I'll come back later at another time and we'll discuss this. Can you imagine that? <laughs> OK, yeah, if, if you're going like, yeah, maybe, you haven't been paying attention to anything. Right? Because that would never happen. Right? It would be like a collective gasp. The entire nation would faint. But here's the, here's the bottom line. In the church of Jesus Christ, it's, it's not always been much better. And you imagine an individual holding on to a tradition, a kind of sacred cow, like with a tight fist, and then standing before someone else who just humbly opens up the Bible and says, like, let's study this out. And then listening, and then by the end of that explanation, this person going, oh, like, I, I never thought about that that way before. Maybe I'm wrong. Might be surprising, right? A little bit surprising? It really kind of shouldn't be, but I think we know that it kind of is In this passage, you see something beautiful, my friends. These people listen. They listen, and then they yield to the word of God. Isn't that great? I just don't want us to miss this. They yield to the word of God. Peter, with these witnesses, says, this is not my story. This is not something that I'm just doing on my own. This is the work of God. This is the work of God and undoubtedly Peter is putting the pieces of the puzzle together as well to understand how Jesus fulfilled the law and how God is ushering in this new covenant that is different. But it takes time even for Peter to really grasp it. Why? Because it's so ingrained in them. These things are so ingrained in them. But here as he tells it to the church, the church listens and it's a beautiful thing. The church listens and They actually glorify God. They praise God. And they say, again, verse 18, Then to the Gentiles also, same as us, to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. So these these people are saying with this statement, Gentiles can come into the family as Gentiles. Gentiles can come in wearing that. Gentiles can come in eating that. It's okay. Maybe we should try some bacon. This is what they're saying. It's good. We're good. This is a remarkable moment. It's a beautiful moment for us. So, question, what do we need to see in this? There's a lot that I think we could see. But with regard to this particular text, we are seeing the church of God get out of His way, humbly get out of His way. And I think we need to get out of God's way in a couple of ways as well. One is this, by relentlessly protecting the purity of the gospel, The church of God needs to stay out of God's way by relentlessly protecting the purity of the gospel, the simplicity of repentance and faith. We have such a tendency to want to front-load the gospel, to add certain requirements that we think are important when we need to be passionate about lifting up Jesus Just lifting up Christ and the cross, helping people to understand that apart from him, they are lost, that they are sinners in need of a savior. But my friends, we need to be very careful about not communicating that you have to clean yourself up to come to Jesus. And it's easy for religious people to do that or to communicate in that way. Clean yourself up and then come to Jesus. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that you are lost and you just need to understand that and that Jesus alone can save you. And so the gospel is repent and believe. That's what Paul said to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians 15. I have delivered to you as what was of first importance, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. Right there, period. Period. Look and live. Turn and trust. Look and see that Christ is your only hope. Again, my friends, people are saved. People are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, period. Great spot for an amen. We cannot front load that. It's very easy for us to get attached to the do instead of the done to so emphasize a search for fruit that we bypass, it is finished. Can't do that. We must protect the purity of the gospel, not clutter it with other things. It's easy to clutter it in culture, to clutter it with other things. We need to get out of God's way, stay out of God's way by protecting the purity and simplicity of the gospel. Number two, We need to get out of God's way by refusing to make distinctions between the people of God. Let me say that again. Stay out of God's way by refusing to make distinctions between the people of God. So, to be clear, there is no Jewish church. There is no Gentile church. There is no American church or Asian church. There is no black church or white church. There is one church. Amen? As the old hymn says, The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, our Lord, period. One foundation. I love what John Stott said. i quote him to you. He said this some 40 years ago or more. It's still so relevant. He said the fundamental emphasis on the Cornelius story is that since God does not make distinctions in his new society, we have no liberty to make them either. Let's grab this. Yet, he says, tragic as it is, the church has never learned. The same ugly sin of discrimination has kept reappearing in the church in the form of racism, nationalism, tribalism in Africa, and casteism in India, social and cultural snobbery, or sexism. Scott goes on to say, all such discrimination is inexcusable even in non-Christian society. In the Christian community, it is both an obscenity because offensive to human dignity and blasphemy because offensive to God who accepts without discrimination all who repent and believe. Period. So as Peter says in Acts chapter 10, he realized that God does not show favoritism. And we need to be careful that we don't as well. I know that we long, we long for the day in which we will be around the throne of God amongst people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. Amen? That's a great spot for an amen. We need to long for that. We do understand that the church will never be perfectly diverse here. We know that. But it will one day. Amen? It will one day. And that should be our heart. That should be our heart, our desire, longing for the day in which it will be true. But this is the power of the gospel, to unite us together, even though we come from very different backgrounds, very different cultures, different ethnicities, Right? different families, different, perhaps, belief systems. But we can all come together under one banner, and that's Jesus. And we access it one way, repentance and faith, period. You guys with me? Sounds simple, but trust me, it's not out there. It's not. The church figures out how to booger this up. That's not a great line. Sorry, not a great line. Mess this up. It, like as it was coming through i was like this is not good but it just came out sorry <laughs> okay i need a better word mm-hmm. we figure out how to mess it up we do the church is god's to oversee to superintend it's not surprising i don't think it is ironic but not surprising that this vision that is given to Cornelius to go get Peter, finds Peter in the city of what? In the city of Joppa. Does that ring a bell? Does that ring a bell about another kind of prophet who is wrestling with a call to go share the good news with Gentiles? That would be Jonah. That would be Jonah. Here we have in Acts chapter 11 a beautiful distinction between two Jews. One who refused to go. Why? Because he hated those people. He hated and he harbored in his heart animosity and hatred towards those people. I don't want them in my community. This is what Jonah is saying. I want them to be punished. I want them to go to hell. Literally, what Jonah is saying, I want them to go to hell, they deserve it. So, Jonah on this pedestal is thinking that way, and so there in Joppa, he's like, No, I'm going on a boat to Tarshish. But here, praise the Lord, changed by God's grace, Peter has a different story, he goes without distinction and he shares the gospel. And he witnesses the grace of God. He witnesses the Spirit of God fall on these people in the same way he came upon them. And he glorified God. And he went and told the church. And the church goes, that's good. This is wonderful. We're all one. It was hard for them. It was very hard for them. In ways, perhaps it's hard for you to think of those people or that person coming into the community of faith. But brothers and sisters, let's understand. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Amen? The ground is level at the foot of the cross. We're about to go to the tables around this room. Be reminded that as you get up and you see your brothers and sisters going, we all go equally. No one goes first or last. No one goes to a prominent table or a lesser table. We all go together equally before God, saved, washed, redeemed, By his grace. God is good. Church, let's stay out of his way. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord, for who you are and what you've done for us. We are so grateful. Thank you for saving us. And Father, forgive us. Forgive us for our sectarian mindsets. I pray that you would help us to be passionate to protect the simplicity and purity of the gospel message. And I pray that you would help us to have a heart for the nations, to see everyone come in. This is your heart. Help us to stay out of your way, God. In Jesus' name, amen.